Well, it seems like Bob Smith was the only one that was catching fish this particular time of the year. Everybody was out there fishing, but Bob was the only one that came back with any fish. Well, the game warden kind of got his interest because why is Bob the only one catching fish? So one morning he says to Bob, I want to go fishing with you. I want to know what's going on. Bob looks at him and says, okay, meet me tomorrow morning at 5 o'clock. We'll go. So at 5 o'clock the next day, Bob was there, and all he had was a rusty old tackle box and a big net. Game warden thought it was curious, thought, well, maybe his fishing pole is there on the boat. So they proceeded down to the boat, got in the boat, got out to the middle of the lake, all of a sudden, Bob opens up that tackle box, pulls out a stick of dynamite, lights that dynamite, drops it in the water. Kaboom! All these fish come floating up to the top of the water. He just reaches over, picks up the net, starts scooping up the fish, putting them in the boat. Game warden looks at him and goes, do you not know? I represent the United States government. This is illegal. You can't do that. Bob just looked at him. Pulled out another stick of dynamite, lit it, handed it to the game warden and said, you going to fish or you going to argue? <laughs> now, I tell you that story because the parable that we look at today in chapter 25 talks about opportunity that is given to the servants of the master. And so, sometimes we forget or we don't fully appreciate what we have in our hand, what opportunity, and what we can do with it. So if you will open your Bibles and read with me Matthew chapter 25, and we are beginning at verse 14. In chapter 25, there are three parables that are talking about the kingdom of heaven is like. The first parable has more of an emphasis on waiting for the king to return, the master to return. The second is about the master returning, but it's about what we do in the meantime in working before his return comes, what he's entrusted us with. And that's where we pick up in verse 14. So read with me. Again, the kingdom of heaven will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents of money, to another two talents, and to another one talent, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. Now I'm going to pause there just a moment. If you're taking notes, would you let me see them after the sermon because I've lost my notes. No, I'm just kidding you. The first point we're going to look at, we're going to look at five different R's. And the first one is relationship. There is a relationship between the master and the servants. Now, what you have to understand is this word in the Greek for servant is doulios. It doesn't refer to the lowest rank of a slave. It refers more to a steward, one who has an opportunity to do things for the master with his own mind. Now, let me just tell you how that works. On an estate that would be like of this size, there were a lot of servants. 
Some were artisans. Some were business managers. Some were foremen working the estate and the cattle that they may have had. So that's why you have to understand when he called together these three servants, they had the ability to be invested in his business and make money for him. Now, I know when we look at this term talent, it can make an application to us today of what we think about each of us and our talents, which involves our personality, which involves our natural gifts, which involves our resources. And we can make that application, but in the Greek, this word for talent literally refers to money. Now, it's not actually a coinage talent. It refers to a unit of measurement. The value would be based upon what type of material these materials were, whether it would be gold, which would, of course, be very valuable, whether it would be silver, or whether it was copper or bronze. And literally, when he pulled these servants together, he probably gave them a bag with the metal in it that weighed to the amount of five talents, two talents, and one talent. So it wasn't just a coin, like he didn't give them five quarters. Trust me, talents are worth a lot more than just a quarter. It was a unit of weight measurement that had value to it. Now, what I want you to pay particular attention to is he gave to each of them according to their ability. That involves relationship where the master knew the individual he was entrusting his resource, his money to. Now, this was a common practice back then that a master would have his servants do his business. It'd be no different than, I don't know how many of you currently have a financial planner. I don't know how many of you are like me who don't have enough money to have a financial planner other than we pray every day. But anyway, you know what a financial planner does. He takes your money and he invests it for you to make a return. Now, it is always your money whether he gains anything or loses anything. But we trust him and his credentials to make us money so that we have a future retirement. Same kind of thing. The master had a relationship with these servants. He knew their abilities and he gave to them resources accordingly, expecting them to use their abilities to make him a return. But keep in mind, it's always the master's money, and the servant is the employee for the master making the resources count. Moving on down to the second point that I want to make. The second point after relationship is response. What is the response of the servants? So picking up in verse, <clears throat> excuse me, 16. <clears throat> Apologize. The man who had received the five talents went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. So also the one with the two talents gained two more. But 
You always got to look for that word. But the man who had received the one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. Now, breaking that down for just a moment. Two servants. Immediately to put that money for work. And the third talent, the third servant who had one talent, basically went, dug a hole, dropped it in the hole, and thought no more about it. Remember they had a relationship with the master. Remember the master trusted them. Remember the master expected a return. Two servants were eager about showing the master what they could do. The one servant who had the one talent didn't do anything with it. We're going to find out later why he said what he did. Now, I'm a firm believer that what you say and what you do says more about you than anything else. A lot of times people will tell you something, but their actions reveal they're not truthful in what they tell you. How many times have you had someone say, oh man, you are my best friend, I love you. And you kind of say, well, I wish your actions would back up those words of affection. I heard that amen. I'm sorry, brother, we'll have counseling sessions later on today for the hurts of life. (laughs) Actions reveal the motivation of why you do what you do. Now, just remember, all three of the servants had an outward profession of belonging to the master and serving the master. But by their actions, it only looks like two of them had an internal heart for the master because the third didn't even attempt to invest the money. He just hid it and let it go. You know what's sad in life is that sometimes there's wasted potential. It's kind of like the story of Bubba. Bubba wanted to get rid of a lot of trees that was on his land. He needed to plow that land, so he needed to clear that land. And so he went to the hardware store, and he bought him for the first time ever a chainsaw. The man at the chainsaw, the salesman said, let me tell you, you're going to be able to fail trees faster than you would by hand. I'm going to guarantee you, you're going to be able to knock out 15 trees a day just with this power saw. Bubba paid him the money. He left with the power saw. He went home to his farm, and he started clearing the trees. About a week later, he comes back, and Bubba was upset with the salesman. He said, you told me with this power saw, I'm going to be able to fail these trees. Let me tell you, it's worse than what I had before with my own hands. Salesman says, well, now, Bubba, wait just a minute. Let me look at that. So he takes the chainsaw, pulls the cord, and Bubba said, what's that noise? (laughs) See, sometimes we don't recognize the potential of the resources 
that had been given to us. That's what was going on with this third servant. He didn't want to know what the master had given him. He only wanted to put it for safekeeping for the master. But the other two, they had a heart of motivation to show to the master that they were worthy of the task. And so eagerly they went out to do what they know they could do and what the master knew what they could do. Now here's where it gets interesting. The third point is the results. The third point is two get reward, one get rebuke. Picking up where we left off, verse 19. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who'd received the five talents brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five talents. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with the two talents also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two talents. See, I have gained two more. The master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Let's pause right there. These two servants, when the master came, were rewarded for their faithfulness with what he had entrusted them with. They had the heart of the master in saying, well done, and notice the adjectives, good and faithful servant. Same kind of thing that happens with you when you entrust with somebody, like a financial planner, your resources. If I had a financial planner that could take my money and double it, oh yeah, I'm going to be saying good and faithful financial manager. We're going to share relationship for a long time now. Do you understand how all that relates back to relationship? The master knew the servants and their ability. And when the first servant came and the second servant came and showed that they had doubled the money that had been given, they shared with the master in his happiness and his joy. That's called reward. But now the third one comes and we pick up with him in verse 24. Then the man who'd received the one talent came and said, Master, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your talent in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well then, 
you would have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. Take the talent from him and give it to the one who has the ten talents. For everyone who has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You know, by the actions of the third servant, he proved that his heart was not really in the right place. He proved by what he said that he really didn't know the master. He made an unfair characterization of the master because he said, I knew that you were a hard man. Let me just tell you, that word in the Greek for hard is where we also get the medical term today that refers to a hardening of the arteries. It's hard that nothing can pass through it. It's hardened. You are a hard man. And then I also knew that you were a thief because you basically sowed where you had not scattered seed. Wow. Sounds to me like he was looking for a big excuse to excuse himself from working. Relationship with the master is most important in understanding what your marching orders are and what you need to do. Sometimes we don't hear correctly. It's kind of like the man that went to his doctor, and after the doctor gave him a clean bill of health, he said, you know, I'm concerned about my wife because my wife seems to have a hearing problem, but I can't convince her to go out and get a hearing aid. The doctor says, well, I'll tell you what, when you get home tonight, try this. What I want you to do is stand about 15 feet away from her and ask her a question. Based upon her response and what she hears, just keep getting closer until she finally hears what you say. Man said, oh, that's great, Doc. I'm going to try that tonight. So when he got home that night, his wife was in the kitchen. She had her back to him, and he was in the doorway. And he said, honey, what are we having for dinner tonight? No response. She just kept right on cooking. Takes a few more steps, gets a little bit closer. Honey, what are we having for dinner tonight? No response. He's getting closer. He is now at the island in the kitchen, standing right next to it and says, Hey, honey, what are we having for dinner tonight? No response. He finally stands right next to her on her left side and says in her ear, Honey, what are we having for dinner? She whirls around and she said, I've already told you four times we're having beef stew tonight. See, sometimes we have the hearing problem. Sometimes we have the understanding problem. That's what's going on here. The third servant did not take the opportunity to understand the character of the master. 
did not understand what he had been asked to do, did not understand what his assignment was, did not understand that the master believed in him and knew he had the capability to make a return. Instead, he was self-centered, self-serving, no effort, dug a hole, dropped the money in it, didn't do anything else with it. Waited until the master, eh, if the master comes, I'll give him back what he gave to me. If he doesn't come, well, I guess after enough time, guess it belongs to me. I don't know what was going through his mind. Now, before we go too quick, just understand, it was normal during that time for people to use hidden treasure in their backyard. You've heard of that. People would dig a hole and they would put their valuables in that hole so that way nobody could come and get it. I mean, that's the reason why today we have movies and other things about buried treasure and treasured maps and stuff like that. Back then, it was a common practice. I mean, do you remember back in Matthew 13 where the man found hidden treasure in a field, hid it again, went and bought the field so that he got the field and the treasure. It was a normal practice then. So that's the reason why this guy just was like, Okay, it's valuable to the master. I'll just hide it and I'll drop it and not think any more about it. What does that reveal about him, though? Not only did he not understand the relationship, but the other thing that it revealed about him is that, like what the master says, you are lazy and you are wicked. He was rebuked by the master because he even goes further and says okay let's say for example if you believed that that was my character if you believe that about me then you should have believed that there was an expectation I had that something would be done with what I had entrusted with you so that's the reason why he said why didn't you go and take it to a banker and at least gotten simple interest on it now just to give you a little bit of a history that was a practice in the Roman Empire People would have money that they would lend to a banker or a bencher, what they were called, and then they would take that money and loan it out to people. History, if it serves right or whatever, says usually they were loaning money out at about 12%, which means that at least had he done that with the banker, he probably would have gotten about 6%. Don't worry about the numbers. It's just the opportunity to understand. He could have gone to the bencher, the banker, here, safe investment, give me simple interest on it, at least I'll have something to show to my master when he comes back. And that's why the master said, if you really thought that about me, then why didn't you at least go and get simple interest on what I entrusted with you? You have revealed that as a servant, you are the one that don't understand the relationship. You don't understand the resources I gave to you. You don't understand my expectations. You basically were just lazy and wicked. And wicked refers to evil. You had a negative attitude toward me. So he took the one talent away and he gave it to the individual who had the five talents and he says, to him who has been given much, he will receive more. Fancy words, that sounds good, but literally, Ty, what exactly are you telling me? Interesting parable. That's where we come to the fifth R, and that's called reflection 
that each of us individually need to do when we look at the parable. First of all, do you know the master inwardly? Or do you just say outwardly, I know the master, I belong to the master, but inwardly, you really don't know the master like this third servant did not know. Kind of reminds me of this, you know, a businessman starting his new business, went, got himself some office space, got him some business cards, put a shingle on the door outside, was waiting for his first client, customers to come in. Sitting behind his desk, he sees coming in the front door a man. Immediately when he steps into his office, the businessman reaches over, picks up the phone, and starts talking like he's talking to the president. Oh, yeah, he's answering questions for the president, giving him advice, talking as if they were the best of friends, and the president valued everything he said. Man just stood there waiting. After it, businessman hugged up the phone, looked at the man and said, hey, I'm sorry to have had you waiting, but you know that was the president on the phone, and he and I needed to speak. He needed me for some information. The man looked at the businessman and said, doesn't matter to me. I just came to hook up your phone. <laughs> Sometimes we pretend. God knows when we're pretending. Sometimes we tell people we have a connection to the master, to the king, to the lord of lords, and we're just pretending we don't have that connection, and God knows. Another point of reflection is, what has God given you according to your ability? Now, the interesting thing about it is, not everybody got the same amount of talents, and he didn't judge them as a group. He had each of them come individually to give an accounting of what he had given to them individually. But now collectively between the three of them, add them up, five, two, one, there were eight talents that were given. And collectively between the three, there were, added up, ten, four, one, fifteen. Whew, that was the hardest part of this sermon. I was afraid I was going to forget math. But anyway... Collectively, there was a return of 15 talents. Well, that's pretty good. That's almost a doubling of what he had given to all three. But it wasn't a group project. It was an individual assignment based upon an individual relationship between the servant and the master. As we reflect, what has God given you? What has he entrusted you with? for his purposes. And what are you doing with that? Are you finding ways to serve him with your talents? And this time I'm using the word talents with our abilities that he's created within us. 
We all have a variety of experiences. We all have a variety of talents. We all have a variety of personalities. And isn't that great? Because everything that is different makes us each unique. And in our uniqueness gives us opportunity to serve out of our uniqueness from the way we were created by the master and to give back in serving for him. Point of reflection. There's a a story here. It's called, It's Not My Job. It's a story about four people named everybody, somebody, anybody, and nobody. There was an important job to be done, and everybody was sure that somebody would do it. Anybody could have done it, but nobody did it. Somebody got angry about that because it was everybody's job. Everybody thought anybody could do it, but nobody realized that everybody wouldn't do it. It ended up that everybody blamed somebody when nobody did what anybody could have. I know it was a lot of words, but did you get the point? We always look to other people to take the lead or to do the job, and we respond more like we were called to an advisory capacity. No, we were called to involvement. All three of those servants were called to involvement. That's why they were entrusted with resources, and that's why there was an expectation for taking those resources and using them for the purposes of the master. I'm going to surprise you with my memory. This was from long ago when I was in middle school, and I remember one of the first poems that I ever memorized. You may remember it. You may know it. It's called, I Am Just One. I am just one, but I am one. I can't do everything, but I can do something. And that which I can do, I ought to do. And that which I ought to do, I shall be able to do by the grace of God. Each of us here are just one. But we are one. And each of us here may claim to have a relationship with the master And if we do, then we are one and there is something that we ought to do. And by the grace of God, we will be able to do that. So as we look at relationship, we look at response, we look at whether there is reward or rebuke, and then we come to personal reflection Where do you see yourself in this parable about the kingdom of God? Because the master is going to come back. The master is going to have an individual counseling appointment with each of us to say, with the opportunities that I gave you, what did you do with them? Did you waste them or did you make yourself productive Interesting question that we need to look at. 
I close with this final illustration. Don't you just love Walmart? Got my own little bag and everything. Some of you probably know what this is. You can go ahead and say it. Milk. Okay. Now I'm going to date myself. How many of you remember the commercial that came on TV and was all around going, got milk? I remember the tagline, milk, it does a body good? Yes. The reason why I remember that is I used to be in advertising and marketing, working for ad agencies, and so we used to always think, man, that is awesome by that California agency when they put that together. It lasted forever. Even now there's references to, got milk? It's kind of like, if you got it, what are you going to do with it? You know, for me personally, as I'm doing reflection, if I've got it, what am I going to do with it? Well, you know the old phrase, if you got it, flaunt it, right? So if I've got it, I'm going to comb it. <laughs> there. Amen, brother. Thank the Lord for hair transplants. I am a member of the men club. That's right. If you've got it, what you going to do with it? So I've got milk here, and what I'm going to do with it, of course, is I'm going to drink the milk, use the milk, because it's supposed to make our body good. It's going to strengthen my bones. I don't know if you remember the commercial, but it shows how it strengthens your bones, and it's good for you nutritionally, and on and on and on and on, and refreshing but now, when you go to the grocery store, and you go looking for that milk carton, you pull that one that's right up front? <laughs> oh, no, baby. We go hunting through, going, now, do, do I have the one with the latest expiration date? Do I have the one that's in the back where it's been colder? Yes, I've been taught by friends, Ty, you don't need to leave that milk in the car for an hour. You need to go home immediately and put that milk in the, car, in the refrigerator. Otherwise, it'll spoil. Have you ever had milk that the expiration date was long gone? Real appeasing, isn't it? Yeah. How's that for your taste buds? I wanted to make sure I got that out there before we had lunch today. So don't anybody order milk, even though it's good for you. There's a reason why there's an expiration date on it, because it says, hey, Ty, when you buy this milk, it's only good until the expiration date. If you don't use it by then, it's not good for you. It's not going to taste good. It's not refreshing. It ain't going to do nothing for your body but make you sick. Same kind of thing. The Lord has given us things that are good for us. He's coming back. No man knows the time, the date, the hour, but he is coming back. And before either he comes back, or shall we say we expire in this earthly body, we need to use what he's given us. So that's the reflection challenge. Before the expiration, are you using what you have? If you got it, what are you doing with it?